Welcome to episode 35 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50 and your host for today's show. Today, I am interviewing a woman who has made it her mission to encourage people, especially women, to take more control of their health care. Susan Salinger operated a business in California with her husband for many years, where they produced and distributed management or supervisory training videos to companies. When they sold their business, Susan's retirement lasted all of three seconds. Because she had always been intrigued by biology and the study of cultures or society in general, she went back to school to take some anthropology classes. Susan learned a lot about medicine and diseases as well as a gender bias against women. She said there was a lot of great information out there but women weren't accessing it because it wasn't being made available to the general public. Even worse, Susan discovered women were misdiagnosed 30% more frequently than men, especially when it came to addressing autoimmune diseases. Often, women were too embarrassed to seek help because they had too many other people to take care of that they couldn't afford to be sick themselves. So as a result of her research, Susan published her first book, titled Sidelined, how women can navigate a broken healthcare system. To tell us more about her research and what people can learn about her book, please welcome researcher and author Susan Salinger to the show. Thanks for joining us today, Susan. I really appreciate the time. Tell us a little bit about yourself and you know, your background. First of all, thank you so much for having me. And my background is, is a little different from most. Um, I was in business with my husband for many years. We produced and, and distributed uh, management and supervisory training films to businesses, films on customer service, telephone skills, that kind of thing. And then we retired or we sold the business and I retired, which lasted about three seconds. That did not work for me at all. So I went back to school and took some anthropology classes and loved, just loved anthro. I had never taken it when I, had, when I was a kid. And so... I learned a lot of stuff about medicine and disease and women and perceptual bias and gender bias and all of those things. And that's really how I got to the book, because I decided that there was an awful lot of information out there that women aren't hearing. Academics write for each other. And some of the information is just really valuable. And I wanted women of all ages, sizes, colors, et cetera, to know it. I get it. I understand that's a very important topic for people to consider. Why yeah. did you focus on women specifically? Because I was surprised to learn when I was in school that how women are misdiagnosed so much more often than men. And women's, when women go to the doctor, their symptoms are dismissed so much more often than men. And I was really appalled, frankly. Women wait longer in, for pain medication. Women wait longer to have surgery. Uh, women are just misdiagnosed. I think there's 12 million people die, misdiagnosed each year, and women are at least 20 to 30 percent more likely than, than men are to be misdiagnosed. Why do you think that is? That just seems so strange. I th it's Frankly, I think it's partly because a lot of our diseases are a little more difficult to diagnose. Women suffer primarily, or not primarily, but a lot from autoimmune diseases. I think out of all the autoimmune diseases around, women are like 90% of the patients. And they're very difficult to diagnose. You can't always just take a blood test and say, oh, you've got X, Y, or Z. 
And not only can, is there no definitive diagnosis, but their symptoms mimic each other. And I think it can be difficult to figure out which, if any, autoimmune disease a patient has. And sometimes you can't, the, the, all the tests come back normal. The doctor, in some cases, maybe rightfully assumes that the patient is depressed, and they may be. We do suffer more from depression and anxiety than men do. But on the other hand, it just, it, it's hard, it's very hard to diagnose. And I think that's actually the main issue. I would believe that. You walk into any medical clinic and you see a dozen people waiting to see one or two doctors, which means that you're going to get into the room and they're going to spend three to five minutes with you. And so right. it's, what are your symptoms really quick? Take this pill to address that. Yes, yes exactly. Exactly. Did you ever experience this yourself uh, going in for medical? No, I was misdiagnosed. Many years ago, I was taking some hormones for osteoporosis and I started having some symptoms because he, the doctor switched my hormones and I was sure that my symptoms were due to the new medication. It was obvious. I had no symptoms. I took new medication. I had symptoms. I didn't think it was that tricky. But he wanted to do some exploratory surgery. Excuse me. He ran a bunch of tests. Everything was normal. So he said, you really need to do exploratory surgery. So I got scared, of course, and I agreed to the surgery. And we did it, and he found nothing wrong. And, and I, so I was misdiagnosed. Now, I have to say, in all fairness, he was looking for ovarian cancer. That's what he suspected. I was a young mother with young kids. If he'd been right, he would have saved my life. But we certainly could have waited a week or two. I wasn't going to keel over. So. That was where I really didn't do my research. I didn't get a second opinion. There were all kinds. Of, I had all kinds of choices that I didn't exercise. Say the second time it happened to me, I just had a biopsy on something, and which turned out fortunately to be benign. But as the doctor hadn't asked one question, I'm still angry about this. Not angry at the first guy, but I'm really angry about this. I didn't ask one question. And finally, at the end, I said, if it is malignant, what's the next step? And he said, why don't you just leave the driving to us? And he left the room. I, want, I really, I wanted to hurt him really bad. How obnoxious is that? So is that yeah. what motivated you to write this book? It was all in the back of my mind as I sat in those classes. And the classes were several years ago, many years ago as well. But as, as I would learn new pieces of information, I would think, oh, yeah, I did. That did happen to me. Or, oh, I, yeah, that happened to my friend. And you'll learn to, the moral of my story is you got to be your own advocate when it comes to your health for everybody, whether you're a woman, a man, transgender, it doesn't matter, but everybody, but women in particular. Do you find that the problem exists with men and women doctors or particularly men? When I started my research, that's an interesting question. And when I started my research, the jury was still out that there seemed to be no difference. There's a difference in practice styles. Women doctors, and I'm sure this is still true, women doctors will take more time with you than a, man, than a male doctor. But on the other hand, if you're busy and on your lunch hour and you want to run in and run out, you're much better off with a doctor who's male. But today, I think they find that they found that women seem to do better with women doctors. I don't know if men do or not. I truly don't know. But I think for women, it seems to be um, a better situation. Do you provide other services too, like coaching or do public speaking? I'd love to do some public speaking, but no, I don't do coaching because I'm truly interested 
in the behavior and how women behave in a medical situation. So you're talking about how the patients react to the doctors and the medical yes. clinics and the Correct. advice they receive and things like Correct. that. Okay. And how perhaps if they can learn some skills, they can focus their, their visit in more in the way they want to. So many women, I interviewed about nine, about 60 women, I'll say, and most of them or many of them were so dissatisfied with how their doctor visit went. And I wanted to help them learn how to focus the visit and drive the visit in the way that they want to so that they feel much more satisfied when they leave the office. Is this something that is people are involving women of all ages or specifically people over 50? No, women of all ages. I think it's worse as we get older. I think ageism kicks in. As a matter of fact, that happened to my mother. She was about 75 and, and totally with it, not a senile bone in her body and just went in for some knee surgery. It was nothing. She was an outpatient, came home, and they gave her some meds for the pain. And within 24 to 48 hours, she was completely bonkers, couldn't remember her name, couldn't, didn't know who was president, all of those basic things. And so, of course, we panicked and ran back to the doctor, who took me aside and said, Sue, I know you're a close family, but your parents are getting older and you're making them feel bad. You need to let them age graciously. And I said, come on, dynasty, people don't get senile in 24 hours. It's not possible. And we threw out her meds and she was allergic to something and problem solved. But like I said, if things don't, if things don't feel right intuitively, go with your guts, take care, take charge of yourself. It's the same story with different issues. It seems to me that women spend much of their lives caring for others and putting others first. Is yes. that why this might be happening. They're spending little time caring for themselves. Yes, that's actually chapter one of the book. Women do, I think it's 80% of the caretaking in the entire world. So that's amazing. In fact, there was a fun study, I love this. There was a fun study done where researchers gave women an, a list of five things and asked them to prioritize it. What would they put first? And most of the women put their children first. Second, which I love, they put their pets. And then third, they put their elderly parents. Fourth, they put their significant others. And five, they put last but not least, I would hope, they put themselves. And that's really, women do themselves a disservice when they do that. Because we do take care of others. We do 80% of that caretaking. And if you don't feel good, it makes it really hard when you're feeling lousy. You're irritable and you have no appetite and you may have no energy. And it, if you really want to take care of your family in the best possible way, put yourself first. Not Even the airline says, put your own mask on before you put on your kids' masks. And it's, it's so true. You, got, you have to be alert and feel good in order to take the best care of other people. Why are women so quick to put off them taking care of themselves? I'm not really sure about that. There's a history where, as you well know, I'm sure that where women have been devalued for, I want to say years, but I really mean centuries and centuries. Our bodies have been devalued. Our work has been devalued. And I think that a lot of us have internalized that and think that we don't deserve to be ill. So many of the women I met felt ashamed for being ill. They, they felt that they were falling down on the job. They couldn't fulfill their duties because they didn't feel good because they were sick. And the shame really surprised me. I've not heard of the shame before, but I could see where that would be a problem. I think they felt that 
they actually felt that their illness was due to their stress and that, it, that they couldn't manage their stress. They were all, and I'm quoting, I don't know, so overstressed, I guess, is what I want to say. And they felt that by becoming ill, it was a, a signal to the world that they couldn't manage their own stress because obviously they wouldn't have gotten sick otherwise. And many times we're probably guilty of it, not allowing the women in our lives to take time to recover. Because when you're taking care, you're a single mom taking care of kids, the kids right. still need to be fed. They right. still need all those services that right. need to take place. So rather than rest, you're out there dealing with it's all of that. True. And, it's true. Mm-hmm. We go to the doctor more than men do, but we still hesitate. We don't have time. We don't have the time or the resources or the, the child care, whatever it is you need. You had said something a little while ago that made me think of my own mother, that she was always more concerned about offending a doctor by asking questions about her own health. Uh, is that a common problem? Yes. Really? Yes. Why and is it's it? actually my pet peeve because I want women do themselves such a disservice. We hesitate to get second opinions because we don't want to upset the doctor. We don't want to be rude. We just, uh, one woman said to me, she would never get a second opinion. She was afraid she'd be labeled a bad patient and that would be on her chart and it would follow her throughout her. Yeah. That is exactly what my mother thought. Yes, of course. And really, number one, we have to realize how random illness is. That's really important because some people get COVID and some don't, and some alcoholics get liver disease and some don't. So the first thing you want to know, there's so many diseases out there, 40,000 diseases, and those are just the ones we know about. Now that we have COVID, it's probably 40,001. And it's so hard for the doctor to make a diagnosis. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. And so truly, one of the things you always want to ask when you get a diagnosis is you want to say to the doctor, how did you, what made you, what makes you think it's that? What were, what helped you arrive at that conclusion? And what else could it possibly be? So now you have one or two things that you can go home and look up and see if it feels, if the diagnosis feels comfortable to you. And I would always get a second opinion when it's a serious diagnosis. And I see people, and I, not just women, people view a second opinion as a confrontation, and it isn't. It's a collaboration. I've never, had a, I've never had a doctor object to my getting a second opinion. In fact, one doctor said to me, besides the fact that he would, was a he at the time, would like the confirmation, he said, also, if there's ever any malpractice, he said, I love second opinions because then I've got backup. Right. And he's right. I never went there because I'm not litigious in the least, but nevertheless, I understood perfectly. And I thought that was an excellent point. That's a very good point because you never know if the doctor is going to miss something that another doctor. And it's so easy to do. And it doesn't mean the doctor's incompetent. It truly does. It just, it's, I wouldn't, one of the things I did learn is that we all see what we expect to see. So if you go in with, let's say, a pain of some sort in your elbow. I made that up. I don't care. A psychologist will tell you that it's due to stress. A stomach doctor, a gastroenterologist will see stomach pains. A joint, a a rheumatologist would tell you have joint pain or tennis elbow. We see what we expect to see. So before I undergo any kind of serious treatment, I would certainly get a second opinion. Another problem that I see in medical profession now is people are taking so many drugs 
that it is hard for any one doctor to know whether this drug is going to conflict with or interfere with this drug or right. counter the effects of this drug or what the thing is designed to do. And it just creates a heck of a mess. So a second opinion would be essential. Absolutely. Do women tend to believe their illness is punishment for past behaviors? Yeah, a lot of the women I met blamed themselves. Like I said earlier, they blamed themselves because they thought it meant they couldn't manage their stress. That was most of them. Others didn't think it was a punishment. Yeah, I, again, I don't know if I'm different, but when I get sick, I just get angry. I'm angry at the world that I'm ill and I'm down for the day or the week or whatever it is. I've, it never occurred to me to feel ashamed because I do understand how random illness can be and your immune system is what it is. My mom was a smoker in the 1960s and 70s, and she quit on her own volition and just gave well, it up, which was very good. But when she got cancer in her 80s, what did she do? She saw it as a punishment for what for the, she had done decades earlier. I can see that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I quit cold turkey too. It's hard to do. Is there a way for women to work around that, that feeling of guilt and shame? I think the best way to work, or there's two ways, I think. Number one is, again, to recognize just how, how random illness can be. I think that's really important. And I think the other thing to do that will help you feel like you have some control is to take charge of the doctor visit. Let me just do a sidebar for a minute, because I think there's some really important things that not only women, but men too can do to guide that, focus that doctor visit so it goes how you want it to go. And the first thing I want to bring up is I think everybody, male, female, I don't care who you are, should definitely go in with a written list of symptoms prioritized. And I say written because if you're at all like me, you'll get so anxious that you'll forget half of what you want to talk about. So truly write it out. Remember the pencil. Nobody uses pencils, although I see you using a pen. <laughs> but pencils are like almost old-fashioned. But there's nothing like a written list. And then secondly, you want to ask the doctor for it to write down and spell, because if you're, again, like me, you can't spell. Write down the clinical name of your disease so that you can go home and if you have access to a computer, you can look up what the doctor said. And you can determine whether or not that feels comfortable to you. That's truly important. And then the third thing, and, and this was mind-boggling to me, but it's so important to repeat back in your own words what you heard the doctor say. The statistic that I found just so shocking was this is only about women, but only 15% of women, that means 85% of us don't do this. Only 15% of women will tell the doctor when they don't understand something. So 85% of women will walk out of that doctor's office not really understanding what they've been told. So I, I again, no matter whether what gender you are, I think it's very important to repeat back in your own words. And that does two things. Number one, it gives you a chance to make sure you heard correctly. And it gives the doctor a chance, first of all, to make sure they said what they meant to say, because we all misspeak. And not only that, it gives them a chance to confirm or correct or whatever it is, anything that you may have heard incorrectly. So I think those three things are just really important. I know a lot of people in the medical profession talk about patients who consult Dr. Google about yes. trying to diminish what the doctor is saying because they're reading things online. 
So that right. I, I understand this, this shame that people might feel for taking ownership of their own health issues. How do you counter that? I think, first of all, I'm, I'm all for doing research and Google. There's just a lot of misinformation out there. I, I think the most right. valuable thing about my book, and yes, I'm promoting, but it's also accurate, that the most valuable thing about my book is there's a resource list at the end. And it's all the websites that I've found were the most accurate and that I found were the easiest to use. I've done a lot of research and I did everybody, I think everybody needs to do their own research and I've done a lot of it for you. And it, it tells you what, what you can rely on. And I think that it's so important to, it's so hard to, let me put it this, it's just so hard to sift through what's accurate and what's inaccurate. I don't know. I'm not a doctor either. I don't know any more than anybody else out there. And that's incidentally why if the doctor writes down the name of which you've got something to, to grab hold of and that you can look up. And if you go to the Mayo Clinic, for example, they'll, they'll give you an overview of the illness. They'll tell you the symptoms. They'll tell you what the diagnosis process is. They'll tell you what the treatment is. It's, one, it's a wonderful site. When it comes to the emotional aspects of illness, do the women take time to talk about this? Yes, women talk about, a lot about their emotions. And I think that's one of the reasons that we tend to get a psychological diagnosis more than men do. Although, of course, we also do suffer from depression and anxiety, as, as I mentioned earlier. But yeah, women always, and I'm as guilty as anybody. And I, when I go in, and let's just say I have a sore throat, but which is nothing, so to speak. But I go in, I tell them or her how I feel about that and how it's interfering with my life. And is there an antibiotic? I, and I go on and on. And so, of course, the doctor says, are you sure you're not just stressed? Of course I'm stressed. I have a sore throat. I don't feel good. I can't take care of my family like I want to. We're back to that. Yeah. So I think that we really do tend to get a psychological diagnosis. And again, sometimes it's accurate. So I, it isn't necessarily that they're blowing you off. I noted on your website, though, that women sometimes take the opposite approach and neglect their emotions. We just want to get better. We're so interested in immediately getting some physical relief. I interviewed a lot of women that had hysterectomies. To me, particularly if you have your ovaries removed, that really affects your hormones and your hormones affect your emotions. And there were very few of them that had ever asked the doctor whether they were going to have any kind of emotional repercussions. And of course they did. Many of them were so depressed after the surgery. They felt better physically. I'm not, I don't mean to imply that they didn't, but they were so depressed. And then, of course, they thought there was something wrong with them because everybody has a hysterectomy. They couldn't understand why they were so depressed. And that was because all they, they all asked about what the physical recovery would be. When would they be able to drive? When would they be able to take care of their kids in, in the way that they wanted to, et cetera? So I think that's I, I think that we describe our emotions very well when we're to talking about our symptoms, and then we com completely neglect them when we're talking about our recovery. It's interesting. I've talked to a number of women lately. It's surprising that you're mentioning this, who talk about the effects of menopause and how nobody prepared them for what they went through. Technically, they're an emotional wreck. She called herself a train wreck on a yes. number of occasions. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. And this, I've been on a lot of menopause pod, podcasts because there's several of them out there. And I, it was, I, I've been, I've told everybody because it's so surprising to me 
I, originally, I, I don't know. I, my, my chapter on menopause administration ended up on the cutting room floor, so to speak. But I did have a chapter on menopause. And I had such an easy time finding interviewees for every other subject but that. Really? I The hardest time. Everybody said to me, I haven't had any problem. I don't have anything to say. And I had to actually go to a few people, I knew, friends that I knew had problems and, and talk to them. And I'm, I, apparently I was just unlucky because I've heard everything that you just said time and time again. So many women have so many problems that there's that many podcasts. Otherwise, it'd be a non-issue, right? Exactly. So why are people so reluctant to talk about their problems? I truly don't know. And I was lucky I never had any problems. I had hot flashes for a while, and they're very uncomfortable. I had a few bad hair days. I didn't have any, nothing like the, the stories I've heard subsequently. I don't know. And I think it's really coming out of the closet now. There's books and podcasts and it's, on, it's within this big article in the New York Times recently, so it's getting better. I can but, understand why men might not, because they would appear to be weak if they're talking yes. about their problems. But women, I wouldn't think would it would matter that much. No, I wouldn't think so either. I, I completely yeah. agree, and I frankly don't quite understand it. You had mentioned earlier that women appear to be given more prescriptions than men. Why is that? I think there's a couple of reasons. We've had three reasons in particular. One, we suffer more from chronic diseases. And the second reason I'm going to throw in depression and anxiety. And those diseases do need medications. So I think there's some real science behind that. And the thing that disturbs me the most, however, is that the pharmaceutical companies aim all of their drug ads mostly towards women. We make the majority of the purchasing healthcare purchasing decisions. We buy for the family. And the United States and New Zealand are the only two countries in the entire world that allow pharmaceuticals to market to consumers. And so they, and because women make most of the purchasing decisions, the, the pharmaceutical companies aim their ads at women. Notice how many um, ads have women in them, and usually women and children. Because again, we're caretakers. There have been studies. They found that if, if the drug I'm promoting implies you can take better care of your kid, you're going to go get it. And I think it's one or two thirds of people that see a drug ad take some sort of action. They call their doctor, make an appointment, or they ask for the drug. It's very effective, those ads. That is a very good point, Susan, because we outlawed alcohol ads on television. Right. We out right. outlawed cigarette ads on television. Yep. But yep. we allow all of these. Ask your pharmacist, ask your doctor about this, right. that, and the other right. thing kind of ads. What you're saying is people don't have enough understanding of their own health to be able to ask those questions, but B, they're right. never going to challenge a doctor who prescribes. And, some, and also, you go in, or many people go into the doctor and say, can I have this drug or that drug? And the doctor wants compliance, getting people to actually fill and take the prescription is a big problem. So the doctor... Perhaps the doctor feels that if they give you the medicine you've requested, you're more apt to follow through with it. So there, there is that as well. But did you know that drugs that they advertise sell nine times more than drugs that they don't? So that's really? crazy. Yeah, it's consumer. It's just very interesting. It is shocking the number of drugs that people are taking nowadays. Yeah. Why should anyone trust the medical establishment when it's treated people like human guinea pigs 
and almost treats symptoms with prescription drugs rather than zeroing in on the root cause. Nobody's asked me that before, and I love the question. The first thing I want to say is I am a huge believer in the medical. Now, I won't say my system has problems, but I am absolutely science and medicine. I don't by medicine, I don't mean drugs, but medically oriented. I think our doctors are terrific. Seriously, I do. Not that there's not some lemons and some are more competent than others. That's a given. I don't care if we're talking about hairdressers, plumbers, doctors, that's an is. But I think that when you look at COVID, for example, look how fast they were able to, the scientists were able to develop and come up with something that prevented thousands of people from dying. So I think it's really important to trust the doctor. And now I'm going to give you the but. And I think it's really important to be in charge. It's like, do your own research. You can, don't be like me and agree to a surgery that you basically don't think you need. Get that second opinion. Wait a week. It takes time to process these things too. Wait a week or two. Give yourself some time to settle down, process it, think it through, look it up, do whatever it is you need to do. There's a ton of support groups out there that you can go to. But I just, I think that uh, on Instagram, somebody wrote me that they've stopped going to the doctor. Please don't do that. That's how a minor problem can become a major one. My point is that there's ways to structure and manage the visit. And I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that you don't go to the doctor. And I'm really glad you asked me that because I have, I've been commenting on, people have commented like that to me on Instagram and TikTok and all of those things. So what is your book about? My book is about how women can manage their doctor visit. The point of the book is that we are empowered. We have to listen to our gut, and it offers you some definite suggestions, some, some specific skills that will help you focus that doctor visit and help you feel comfortable with the diagnosis you receive. You need to know, there's certain ways you need to know how you can handle yourself even more effectively than most of us already do. And that's what the book is about. It's about patient behavior, which is good. So we're not right. even talking about symptoms and things like that. We're talking about things that we can do to Correct. help improve our own health. And this is Correct. this book is targeted specifically for women, though. Correct. So yeah, a guy like is. me probably won't get anything out of it. No. Now that I think back on it, it is all of the information in the book is targeted to women, but the skills. For example, I, would, I don't care if you're who you are, you should write down your list of symptoms. You should repeat back. So the, some of the specific skills are absolutely wonderful for any and all genders. But That's the good. information is, is the statistics, for example, are based on women. That's a good point about the, the writing down your symptoms. I started doing that a couple of years ago, putting it yeah. on my cell phone uh, next yeah. to the appointment yeah. just so that I would not forget Tendency. The older I get, I have Tell me about it. You're young. Well, so, in fact, you know, want to add one thing, come to think of it. Uh, I, had a, I was on a, a show with a doctor, I don't know, a month or two ago, and she said she loves it when pa patients come in with a list because she, gets, she looks at the list and prioritizes it herself. She told me the story about how she had a, a male patient and the visit was over and she was walking out the door. And he said, I have this mole on my back. That, to her, was the most important symptom. So she turned around and started over. But she said if he'd had a list, she would have put that symptom first. So it's helpful to the doctor as well. Very good point. I never would have thought that. Mm -hmm. So how can people get your book? 
that's available on Amazon or any place that books are sold. It's called Sidelined, How Women Can Navigate a Broken Healthcare System. Very good. We'll be sure to link to that in the podcast notes and in the article that I do as well. Thanks so much. Do you offer any additional resources on your website? You can buy the book from the website or there's links. Let me put it. It's easier that way. Okay. What is your website? SusanSalinger.com. That's S-A-L-E-N-G-E-R. Everybody misspells it. So it's E-N-G-E-R. And it's just SusanSalinger.com. Super. And it's the resource list at the back that I want everybody to, to really acknowledge, pay attention to. That would be good to buy the book just for that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, well, seriously, it would. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today, Susan. If there's one thing about this interview, it shows that you are passionate about this topic. I am very much so, as a matter of fact, and thank you for that. So thank you again for putting your thoughts on paper to help empower women to take better control of their doctor visits, which in turn allows them to take more control of their health. Well said and true. (laughs) Susan Salinger's story is as sad as it is alarming, but I'm glad she is boldly stepping forward to share her research with others in hopes of helping them to take greater ownership in their own health care. It's no secret that medical misdiagnosis is a big problem today. With more than 40,000 known illnesses, Susan said there are too few doctors treating many more patients. That means doctors usually can't afford to take the time it takes to really delve into the underlying causes of an illness. Susan explained that women often blame themselves for their medical problems by seeing the problem as a punishment for bad decision in the past. I agree. My own mother saw the cancer she developed in her 80s as a result of smoking in her 30s. The medical establishment is often quick to prescribe medicines to address symptoms rather than looking for the root cause of problems. Because people take so many prescription medications, it can often be difficult to determine how one drug will combine with another to influence a third. After sharing her own story of having problems misdiagnosed, Susan noted it's unfortunate that many women are told reactions to medicines are either in their head or the natural result of aging. For all those reasons, Susan took it upon herself to help educate people to the realities of medicine today. That way people can be more active in addressing concerns and getting second opinions before subjecting themselves to new drugs or risky medical procedures. She encourages patients to trust doctors but also do their own research to ensure that a diagnosis matches what people are actually experiencing. Patients can also structure visits with medical professionals in a way that they can get their concerns addressed as well as their questions answered. For more help in taking ownership of your own healthcare, especially as a woman, consider reading Susan's book, Sidelined, How Women Can Navigate a Broken Healthcare System. It's available on Amazon and in other bookstores. To connect with Susan, visit www.susansalinger.com. That's S-A-L-E-N-G-E-R. Or look for her on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and other social media sites. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or to get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. 
And if you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes. 